Way show um, with uh, with me, Lee McQueen, in association with Phoenix Fifty One, the powerful employee technology platform that is transforming the way that we bring in and assess uh, individuals within a, within within the workplace. And and as you probably already know, that we are on a mission to find out if talent waste exists through our research, for our statistics, and our brilliant guests that we have on each week here on the Talent Waste Show. And, and just to quickly, if, you, if you're new to the show, just want to kind of recap a little bit, if, if I may. Talent Waste affects organizations across all industries. It occurs when an employee leaves the organization prematurely, or in other words, when a business cannot uh, retain them or is able to retain that individual. And some staggering statistics that we've done throughout these, the, uh, throughout these, um, these shows uh, shows that between 13 up to 45% of employees leaving organizations within the first year. And that statistic is from the Office of National Statistics as well. So there's a huge, huge element of this. So we're on a bit of a mission to see whether or not um, talent waste actually exists. Last time out, we had the wonderful Sarah Mason. Uh, we talked all things talent and transformation. Sarah and her team have done a fantastic job at Foxton's with some fantastic tips for anyone looking for cultural change. It was a really, really good show. Uh, and please check that out um, on, the, on some of the catch-up channels. This show goes out live on Crowdcast and, of course, on LinkedIn Live as well. So please interact with us uh, today uh, with, my, with my fantastic guest. You can also catch up via YouTube um, and our podcast. Uh, version of the show is now on Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, and Pocket Cast as well. So we're, we're getting there. We're definitely getting there. You can find us all over the socials, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Um, and check out our website, www.phoenix51.io, for more information. However, I am mega excited today. I have to be honest with you, because today, my guest is the wonderful Manuel Heischlinger. Manuel has seriously impressive background manuel you've got a seriously impressive background from working for for two of the giants in recruitment industry from page to alexander man solutions all the way through to deloitte and then on to hsbc but it doesn't stop there uh, manuel then continued his amazing journey with the with a stint at the mighty linkedin and now <laughs> leading the people strategy of pioneer of connected operations cloud Sam Sara, I'm absolutely delighted uh, to welcome Manuel to the Talent Way Show. Manuel, how are you getting on? Thank you so much for the introduction, Lee. You make me blush. Like, I mean, you you could just uh, call me every day with that, and like, it gets a great start to my day. So, yeah, I'm really <laughs> happy, really excited to be here and 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 chat with you about uh, anything talent related because I'm super passionate about that topic, and uh, it's great to be here. Well, look, Manuel, let's get into it. I mean, we were talking uh, off air. Um, and for those who haven't kind of met you before or kind of know who you are, just tell us a little bit about what you do and where your passions lie. And, and, and some of them businesses that rolled off there, I mean, a very impressive background. What are the key challenges that you faced or you've had to overcome from mm. a talent perspective in, in your career so far? Yeah, great. I mean, sure. So as anybody can probably tell by my accent, also by my last name, I'm from Germany originally. So I started my career there. And um I think like many people who end up in recruiting, it wasn't the kind of dream job I had when I was like six years old. I think anybody who tells you that recruiter was their dream job when they were younger, they're, they're lying probably. So, I mean, you, I don't know about you, Lee, but yeah, you kind of fall right. into it. So right. Absolutely the same, yeah. I mean, before I got into recruitment, I was in catering. I didn't know what, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was working for a private, Harrow School actually, a private school. So. Uh, how I got that job is another yeah. story completely. But yeah, we fell into it for sure. Yeah, so I fell into it. And, and and I have to say, I mean, Michael Page, yeah, definitely a big brand. And But it was also a really, really hard um, kind of first job because I was literally, I, I, I learned it from the bottom up. I was 
number employee number three in Berlin. And literally on my first day, they told me the person who hired me has left the business. So I had a, somebody I never met before was suddenly my boss. I was told, yeah. here's the phone, here's the um, address book, here's your laptop, go. And I'm like, okay, what do I do now? So there was a lot of, <laughs> it was a lot of um, yeah, just like learning it literally on the job. Um, but what I learned there is just like you when you when you start any kind of job, I think you just have to stick with it for a while. And and I just learned like to yeah to to get my teeth into it, to uh, try not to doubt myself too much, and just like getting on with 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 it with it. And I think what I learned in that first role was literally just the power of um, where kind of just building relationships because when you're actually in recruiting, like a lot of the times people come to you because they trust you and they they come to you because they 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 want your help and so from that perspective i really got into into that kind of mindset and and the customer is always obviously number one so as a recruiter you have two customers you have your candidates and you have your your clients that want to fill the roles your hiring managers and so that was that kind of gave me that first kind of glimpse that recruiting is an area i really enjoy um what i didn't enjoy so much for sales so i was kind of thinking yep. okay how can i keep how can I keep all the good stuff I like about working at Michael Page, but um, basically combine it with something that's probably a bit more long-term, a bit more strategic, a bit more being in a company. And that's how I then came to Alexander Mann Solutions, which for those who are not so familiar with recruiting, it's kind of what they call a recruiting process outsourcer. So they basically deliver recruiting services for other companies on site, yeah. a bit like an IT outsourcer or like workplace or, or receptionist. And um and that was really interesting because I worked then obviously much deeper with, and, and I got much deeper into these topics that um, probably link more to talent waste. Because as a recruiter in an agency, you're more like, okay, I need to fill roles, I need to fill them fast, I get people in, yeah. and that's it. And yeah. then once they're in, I hope and pray they're staying for my period of three to six months before the customer can get money back. And then I'm like, okay, that's it. Exactly. And, and then it's moving on after that, isn't it? It's kind of like a, almost like a move yeah. on job done. Yeah, exactly. And then, but once you go once you go in in house, you you suddenly there's a much bigger responsibility because you obviously you you probably build teams for hiring managers. You probably work with them over a long period of time, and and they will come back to you and they say, "Hey, this one hire you we made that, that didn't work out," and then you're God, okay, we have to find another person. So you're much more talking about cultural. Um, um, fit. You're much more talking about competencies. You're much more talking about what does the business need long term. And um, so that was really interesting, especially in a company like Deloitte, where talent is literally what they're selling, because yeah. that's all they have. Their intellectual property is basically the consultants, the auditors, um, the, the advisors that they're sending out to their customers. And so it's super critical for them to get the right people in. And also they obviously want to keep them as long as possible because when they're, it's, it's much easier to hire people more junior, that's I think kind of common sense, and then move them up yeah. than yeah, hiring a partner or hiring a director into the business. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so they pride themselves also on having these career journeys, but it's, it's obviously from that perspective super important for them, and that, so that's why I learned more that kind of long-term view and the importance of that. And then, what was interesting about LinkedIn then was probably the uh, we talked about it offline earlier a little bit as well or off air was the scalability piece. So LinkedIn was really like how do we scale very fast? Um, how do we get people in quickly? But also how do we not compromise on on the culture we want to create and on the quality of the hire we want to bring in? Um, so kind of I felt like with every role it didn't. It didn't evolved in that sense and um yeah. um yeah 
and but but the other thing and that's probably one of the things i would say to everybody on the call or like listening now is i never really chased logos or brands on my cv so i was always like what is exciting for me now so i was more driven by my own desires about what what do i want next what is it what is kind of interesting me and yeah. then i was lucky enough that the right opportunity presented itself but I would never say, oh, you should, you should kind of chase a certain company or a certain logo. But I think at the end of the day, it's always about the impact and the job that you're doing, um, regardless of the company or the brand. And, and then, that's really interesting. Yeah, sorry. And then probably just briefly, Samsara is now interesting because uh, now I'm in this intersection. I'm doing um, recruiting and I'm doing the people, um, uh, looking after the people team. So I'm basically now getting both. I'm getting the whole oh, yeah. journey. Yeah all together and so and that is really exciting because it gives me this holistic view and, it, and so I, I see much more now into the into the future of the business like where do we what not like just hiring for the now but we actually need to hire people that help us to scale three four five six times where we currently are in a very short period of time yeah. so it's much more conversations about who do we what do we need in three years what do we need to hire now to get there and and so it's, it's again it's a very interesting conversation and it's a little bit more um yeah it's a little bit more complex than maybe the previous roles i had well that's, i mean again massively interesting because it feels to me that even though you said that you said it yourself you haven't chased logos per se mm. for, for, for your resume or for your cv actually the roles that you've done have actually got you to the um to left you in good stead to be able to take this role on that you've got now at samsara mm. uh, and I, I, just, I just find it fascinating that you know you've got upwards of what 1300 people in samsara already over over a six-year period yeah yet you're looking to scale at speed four five six times bigger than that how does that how how do you where do you start kind of time thing like what what is the process you know for everybody looking out there that is looking to scalves you've gone through that scaling fast through linkedin as well but without kind of um compromising on that quality where, yeah. where do people start when they're scaling their businesses at, at such speed yeah, I think it's important a um, that you're very clear on where you want to be, so that you work backwards basically from like okay, in our goal is in three years we want to be at X amount of revenue. What does this mean for our um, for our different teams, for sales, for engineering, for product, and so forth? And then you you work backwards from there, so you have a clear understanding what's the mountain you have to climb basically with regards to hiring these people, training these people, and so on. And then I think um, what is super important and often where it can fall down is then also, what is the support functions we need in order to get there? What are the processes we need? What are the systems we need? So that you basically kind of think about that much further ahead rather than just when you come to it. So I think like um, we say here in Samsara, for example, we wanna, we already wanna operate like a billion dollar business, even if we're obviously far away from that right now, and but we're on the journey to that kind of target. And so we wanna already yeah. think like that. Um, at LinkedIn, when I joined, I was just thinking about everything you do, you should always think about, does this kind of also, does this process, the system, what I'm doing now, does this also hold up and be like five, six, seven X the size that we are now? So is it scalable was always the big question. Yeah. Um, and if it's not, then let's find a process that is scalable because you, what you can't do is basically constantly reinvent. You need to at least have some sort of, you know, a longer term view and say, okay, we need something now that probably holds for two or three years rather than just for now and holds for, yeah six times the size rather than just maybe twice the size and so on. That's interesting. So yeah. the mindset really is about kind of, you know, working back and, and, and then looking at kind of key milestones within that three monthly cycles or six monthly cycles, but it's a, it's a cycle around 
where do we get to at that point? Okay, we need to maybe tune this or tweak this a little bit and then go again, or maybe we need to reinvent in two or three years to, to continue to scale because yes. there's much smaller businesses when they're scaling, you know, it's kind of, it's a, it's a little bit kind of like everybody in and, you know, it's a good big family. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you get to a hundred people, you get to 200 people and then you get to 500 people. And all of a sudden that, that kind of the essence, if you like, of that business can get lost and that culture that we're talking about before off air yeah. it can can actually get lost i think that's really important man to be able to try and keep that and, and that that comes with the people that you bring in doesn't it yeah 100 percent. i think it is it's two things it's the people to you bring in but also how much do your leaders in the business model those behaviors that they want to see from their from their employees so i think yeah. it's always interesting because culture in my view, I mean, you can write on your walls or on your business reports or in your like uh, websites, whatever you want, but actually culture, you just need some that one person coming into your business for a day and they will tell you what the culture is from what they observe because culture is the behaviors that we actually demonstrate, right? On a consistent yeah. basis in a company. And, 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 and that's why it's so important that leaders live that kind of culture that they wanna see and that also able to articulate it so that new joiners Obviously, yes, they, they see a verbalized version of the culture, of the values or the principles, however you want to call it. But if they then see that that is not lived in the behaviors that they're seeing around them every day, then that is meaningless. So I think it needs to yeah. be both. Um, and I think it also needs leaders who are very um, um, strong-headed in the sense of like saying, well, I'm not compromising on that. So for example, um, and I mean, we're not in America, right? I can swear a little bit. So I say like, we had a LinkedIn, we always had a no asshole policy. So yeah, yeah. it was literally like you 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 would not hire somebody if even if it would be the best high performing salesperson in another company in a direct competitor if you didn't believe this person would fit into the culture and the values of LinkedIn. Yeah, and I think that is a very important decision to make because it, it there could be leaders who are saying yeah but this is a great salesperson they're going to give us a few more million revenue every year we need to really get this person but there was always the view no this is a non-negotiable if somebody doesn't fit our culture and value they're not getting hired and, and in the same yeah. samsara we 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 don't want um, these kind of lone wolves or these people coming in who are probably very insular we want people who are willing to share collaborate because we believe that drives the right behaviors for the teams yeah. and for the company as a whole and for our customers yeah. Yeah, it's so it, it fascinates me because what one of our clients actually, uh, you know, a very, very good client of mine, um, one of their core values is don't be an asshole. I mean, actually, one of their core, yeah, core values. So, yeah. Forgive me for our younger viewers, <laughs> but that, that is the reality, right? Um, we've got a question quickly because we are live yeah. on LinkedIn. So, again, yeah. thanks for everybody for watching and um, uh, and interacting with us from Isla on LinkedIn, who says, uh, is hiring for Samsara very different to hiring for LinkedIn? So, so for example, did people make assumptions about LinkedIn as an employer? Uh, and I suppose m maybe where I was coming from is, look, let's be honest, we all use LinkedIn. So we kind yeah. of know what LinkedIn is about as a user. Did that influence the way people would want to be employed by LinkedIn, for example? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it was surely, surely LinkedIn is a company that has a big consumer brand. And I think that that's good or bad because uh, like, as I always discover or say, is like there's a difference sometimes between a consumer brand and an employer brand, right? So it feels different as an employee, probably as you are as a consumer of the of the brand itself. Um, I think what was 
yeah, what definitely helpful was that as LinkedIn um, or at LinkedIn, we would mainly hire people via LinkedIn, obviously, and you have then you have already an affinity because somebody is obviously already a user of your platform. So that means that they know you. And if you then approach them, there's probably a much higher likeliness they would they would get back to you. Um, I think from a profile perspective, I think LinkedIn, obviously, when when I left, at least, was a company of 15,000 people. So there was a, a slightly different profile of hire because the company was much more established. It's part of Microsoft now, which lots of people forgot. Yeah. Microsoft bought it for $26 billion or five years ago. Um, and so just a small sum. Yeah. Just a small okay, sum. Yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> <That's laughs> <a problem>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it's a very... It's very different. I think at, um, at Samsara, what is different is that we, we're probably looking for people in a similar space, like, um, like software as a service um, and, 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 and digital and so on. But, but we're looking for a slightly different mindset. We need people, for example, in sales who are much more um, what we would call a hunter, somebody going after new business, somebody who is not used to necessarily get a door open because of a big brand name behind them, but who is... Uh, by their own kind of personality able to convince customers and to get business going. Um, also somebody who probably is a little bit more used to work, um, as we call it, right, with crappy, scrappy uh, kind of processes and systems rather than being everything already 100% fledged out for them. And so I think it's mm. it's probably more the profile we're looking for. The mindset is slightly different. I think we're looking still from people from the same backgrounds. Um, yeah. and, and the great thing is now that we had much more uh, mentioning in the press as samsara like in, in like top 50 cloud business and and so forth we, we're getting a lot of more attention and i think we're more on the map but it's definitely there's definitely a, a difference there and and i think it's more we need to explain a little bit more when, when i first um uh got approached from samsara and i had my first interview i was a bit like I, I, iot well, what does it mean how, how does this all work so i think it is a little bit less explain uh, self-explaining than a, than a linkedin where it is a consumer brand that people just deal with on a daily basis yeah yeah no it's, it's really interesting again hearing you talk about the kind of the subtle differences um and and the, the cultural differences when you've scaled a business and it's kind of you know for 400 or 1300 or now 15,000 and you are looking for them site things also as well as quite comforting that you know as a, I set up a tech technology business Phoenix mm -hmm. 51 in September so it's only yeah. again eight months and we're, we're um you know we're, we're scaling ourselves so we are we are looking for people and we we scale our, our, our businesses and what, what not um and you look at all these processes that you think you need uh, and you need all these systems and it's like well we're a startup and then I talked to somebody like yourself who's like with Samsara and you're saying yeah, we've still got kind of bitty systems and processes a little bit. And you think, wow, well, you're 1,300 people. So you know, it's quite interesting how uh, over a period of time, it doesn't happen overnight, does it? It's over a period of time that them sorts yeah. of things changes internally within within organizations. Yeah, 100%. And I think and when we then talk about talent, what is interesting when you are in this kind of growth trajectory that is, if you call it hyper growth or very fast growth, what, what can happen is that, that the organization outgrows some of their talent or, or they're basically the, the people that were right um, a few years ago to start the business might not be the, the, the people that are right now to get you in the next three to five years to where you want to be. And that is not because they are not good employees. It's just because you need a very different skill set. Um, it could also be that their energy is not coming from working for a big business. They probably want to go back to a 50, 100 people startup and build that again to a, like a thousand people rather than taking a company of 1300 people to 5,000 people. And, and I've seen this in the past as well. Um, I think it's, it's, 
as an employee is just being honest to yourself about where you get your energy from. Are you more of a builder or are you more of somebody who really gets his energy or her energy from um, taking something from like good to great to kind of um, incredible? Um, yeah, and from that, yeah, and there's no there's no shame to say after like my my boss for example Melissa she she calls it like you should you should basically every six to twelve months you should kind of sit down and 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 reflect which would I hire myself again into this role, you know, mm -hmm. and especially when it's so fast growing around you you should always ask yourself would I hire myself again and. If the answer is no, that's absolutely fine because it could just be that like the company has changed so much that you don't feel that this is aligned anymore to what drives your passions. And then you should have an open conversation with your manager about that. And you should either see, is there any scope to change roles within the organization? And otherwise, there's also no shame after a good stint or a journey in a company to then uh, try something else, you know. I think it yeah. is it's like being very open in that conversation and that kind of channel with your manager and not pretending that it's not happening and then clinging on and getting really unhappy and frustrated. Well, that, that's, uh, again, I completely agree. We're, we're totally aligned, I think, in, in the way that we think. And, and that brings <laughs> us actually quite nicely onto actually the subject of talent waste because yeah. you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of noise in, in the, the, you know, out there in the market or whatever about kind of, you know, um, uh, attrition or retention rates, and you know, but, but what we're really trying to focus on here in the talent waste piece is actually losing organ uh, losing people from organisations that we don't want to lose. So in that mm. situation uh, where you just talked about Manuel, where, whereby we we're self evaluating or we're evaluating that actually would I rehire myself? Actually, I'm going to now need to move on. Mm. That's a situation where the business didn't really want you to move on. So does this does this happen in your experiences over your vast experience? Mm. There a problem with talent waste. Is there is is this an issue where organisations are losing people that they ultimately don't want to lose? Yeah, yeah, it is. of course it is because I think as an organisation, you you will never be in a position for every single employee you have to give them their growth that they expect at that level of their career you know like you you can do your very best and I think if you are a really considered organisation, you have some strong processes and and systems and and things in place to kind of make sure you're supporting your employees as much as possible and you're spotting great talent and you're nurturing it and you're giving them opportunities internally to growth and and there's clever things you can do you can keep, give people also extra projects or extra growth like so they're going more into the the, the, the not the depth of a, of a role but they're getting more wider but you know at some point if you're a business that where certain people outgrow it and they say, look, I, I really want management experience now and, and I know that's not going to happen here for the next two or three years, then there's not much, you can, there's only so much you can do, basically. I think that's also okay. I think as an organization, we, we should be okay that people are moving on at some point um, because it can also be testament to the success that you actually had with that individual. You got him to a level where they're then able to kind of take a bigger role somewhere else. Bigger role on, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but I I had two people in my team at LinkedIn. One went to Google, the other one went to Netflix. I was super proud because neither of them, when they joined LinkedIn in my team, would have probably got a job at either of those companies. And their hard work and uh, the kind of um, um, yeah work that we did together and, and what they achieved during the time at LinkedIn enabled them to then of go on into into one of the, two of those really aspirational brands, which I think is fantastic. I, I, again, I totally agree, and I, I think you know when, when you're looking at that kind of longevity piece, and that people are moving on from there. For because to further their career over a period of time, but what about talent waste where you're losing people in year one? I mean, some of them statistics mm. that I read off 
beginning. Now, National Statistics is a technology business, for example, which is yeah. your world and, and my world now. Um, you know, thirty up to thirty percent will leave in year one. I mean, that's that's pretty mad. If you think about, it, you've got yeah. a you've got a, a an organisation that hires a hundred people for in that year. Office of National Statistics is saying that 30, 30 of them are going to leave. Yeah, that, that's. I think that's huge. Yeah, I think if you are, so if you're an organisation that has that problem and they identify okay we have a lot of people leaving in their first six to 12 months or in their probation period or whatever or their first 12 months i think it's kind of important to analyze first where it's coming from because it could either be you're hiring the wrong people meaning you're over promising you're hiring people for they're probably have too much experience or they're not a cultural add to your organization they're not aligned with your with your values or, or what you want to achieve um and so they're basically just getting disillusioned or disappointed they're starting and then what they're seeing is not what you told them in the recruiting process and i have seen this um yeah. unfortunately still like in the dream almost man was yeah. still in the dream yeah. <laughs> and and i was always like um it's interesting like um in in linkedin my my boss there brandon brown he was always like at the end said, said when you have a candidate at the, at the very end of a process you should even like off sell them from linkedin you said you should tell them reasons why not to take the job you know or um or at samsara for example we are very very open with our candidates about what samsara is and what samsara isn't and i know other companies like netflix and so on they're doing the same they're very very transparent on their career sites in their job advertisements some of them even saying this is not the right company for you if you are this and this or this is so yeah, it's almost trying to put people off almost exactly yeah because in the end of the day i always say there's no good or bad candidates there's just like suitable and unsuitable for your organization and and you're not helping anybody if you're hiring the unsuitable candidates into roles because you're not keeping them the ca and also let's not forget it uh, it's it's even worse for an employee who starts because they are probably leaving a very good job they have like mortgages to pay families to support True. not fair on them if you're not being open and transparent about what the role is and what the role isn't and what they can expect and what they can't um no i i, I agree yeah. I but agree. Then I think yeah. the other thing is the is the onboarding and the you know what happens in the first year um so and sometimes difficult to distinguish between the two but let's say you can if you can kind of say okay i hired the right person for sure but then something went wrong in the first year it's important to unpick what was it um especially now this year i think the last 12 months have been so i was going to say COVID must have put a big uh, you know it, it's, it's affected everybody hasn't yeah. it let's be honest about it maybe affected people differently but it's definitely affected people the remote yeah. hiring the remote onboarding yeah. uh, doing things virtually if, if you're an assessment business if you bring people in for assessment all of a sudden you're going to have to take that process vir to, to a virtual assessment process you know, there's not a huge amount of technology out there Although Phoenix Fifty One does it, but you know there's, there's a few there's a few uh, um, pieces of technology. And actually, I was going to ask you, Manuel. To be fair, you mentioned about support and systems earlier. Yeah. Is there a, a systematic approach, or is there a, a system that you help? Obviously, you've probably got a big ATS and a HR system, but yeah. is there some technology or tools that you guys use at Samsara to to help you to aid you in picking or choosing, making the right hiring decisions? So what we do, we're probably fairly traditional in that sense that we, we rely on um, on experience of our hiring managers and recruiters. We, we have what we call take-home tests, which could be like seen as a case study or it could be like something very practical, but we just want candidates to prepare something and come back to us with, um, depending on the role. If it's a, 
a design role, then they have to obviously also show their portfolio. If it's an engineering role, they have to do some coding tests. If it's a sales role, they're doing usually a role play. So we, we, we're going more down that route rather than yeah. dealing with um, psychometric testing. Um, but uh, yeah, but it, that's definitely one area where it's, it's just important to, to have a, a systematic approach, at least like a consistent approach for, for every person you're putting through your process in that sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, for sure. And again, yeah. do, you, do, you feel, do you feel that because there's more rigor around that process that actually, you know, if we're hiring based on um, maybe a CV or just a couple of quick interviews or something like that, we, we, we typically make the wrong decisions or more, more likely than not make the wrong decisions. Whereas actually, if you wrap more rigor around that, some behavioral competency based questions wrapped around the key values, we, we're finding that we're, uh, that we're hiring or we're, we're finding we're making better hiring decisions. Yeah, I mean, hundred uh, percent to the the. I think on the competency-based questions, I think it's what we base our interviews around is we make sure for candidates that the interview panel is very well briefed. So every interviewer usually focuses on a specific area or a specific competency uh, because a there's nothing more frustrating for a candidate to meet five people and they're all getting asking the same questions. I mean, that yeah, is they're like, kind of like all around here, <laughs> really a waste of everybody's time. So I'm a big yeah. believer that as a hiring manager, as a recruiter, you need to really have your panel straight. You need to know exactly why is this person on the panel? What area are they covering? Even probably down to what questions do you want them to ask? Um, are you getting more comparable uh, um, kind of experiences? Because then you can literally say, okay, I ask every candidate the same five questions and I can compare. Um, but also to just make sure there's no blind spots in the process so that you really yeah. focus on those areas. Um, and I'm we talked about this um, a little bit before. I'm a big believer as well as a recruiter that you need to challenge things like, um, education or schools or stuff like that. I, I, I think that is very, very um, backwards to kind of just focus on those things on a CV. I think it is much more about behaviors and about uh, attitude and figuring out if somebody has the, the potential to do the role that you want and, them to do rather than and which person do they go to or what kind of sub subject did they study or what kind of A-levels they do. Yeah, it's, it's that probe. I was just going to interact with you. It's that probing side of things as well. It's finding out that information. It's like, you know, you, you could see on a bit piece of paper that, you know, I, I didn't do very well academically, but but actually you don't know the reasons why that was. So actually understanding, you know, who I am and what I do and what I've achieved since my my academic qualifications, for example, that, that now you've got a wider picture of, okay, this is the reason why. And, and now I might become a more of attractive hire rather yeah. than just, you know, maybe right on paper, for example. So, you know, yeah. I, I think we're, again, I, I agree with you on that. Um, just yeah. quickly going back to LinkedIn, so we've got um, yeah. Alan Shaw um, who's, yeah. who's asked the question, how do you maintain a positive atmosphere in a business when too many of the right people are moving on? Mm. And yeah, caveat, caveat that, Alan, by saying, uh, or maybe it's the wrong people. Um, <laughs> so what, what, have you got any experiences around that, Manuel? Yeah, I mean, it, that's definitely a tricky one when you when you have like a high number of attrition in a specific team. I think the um, the best way is just to, I think, A, getting your arms around the people that are staying on make, and, and kind of um, usually when you have people leaving, they're leaving for a reason. Now, you can't always disclose the reason to the rest of the organization for various reasons. But I think it is important just to kind of focus more on the people that are in the team that are still staying and having really strong conversations with them about what are their kind of passions, what are their career plans, what 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 they need support with so that they are basically understanding, okay, it doesn't matter if so-and-so moved on or if these three people left, it's about 
what is it in for me? Sometimes people leaving can also give an opportunity for people who stay on because suddenly there is more interesting project work to be kind of um, uh, divvied out or there is a team lead position open or there's just more more opportunity for people to step up. Yeah, um, But I mean, I always say like as a every employee deserves a great manager. And I think when you have a situation like that, it is really the responsibility of the managers for, for those teams to to step in to to wrap their arms around these employees and to give them comfort that they're still being looked after and and their development is important and really understand their drivers and motivators so that they basically feel supported and they're staying and they're not getting wobbly just because they see a few people in the team leaving um for for whatever reason i totally agree it's so interesting uh hearing you talk Manuel, because i'm going to reverse all the way back to your page days michael page days when you said you, you, your boss had left after two two days and you you kind of got the you know the the, the information you got a phone and off you go and that was exactly I, I i started at hayes and my recruitment career was at hayes and uh I, it was exactly the same scenario <laughs> um whereby you know my boss didn't leave but actually it was kind of like right off you go there's your desk there's your phone kind of get on with it so yeah. you know I'm not sure personally, I don't I don't believe in my experience over 20 years that much has changed in, in not not in the way of here's your um your onboarding process. That's vastly changed. But 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 actually back then we still needed somebody to put our arm around our shoulder and actually look after us and make sure that we were right and make sure we you know in terms of that manager. And I think that's still the same today. And, and I do hear a lot of um, kind of, uh, there's, there's a lot of chat, isn't there, um, uh, out there, especially on social media, that mm. you know, people are different nowadays to what they were, you know, back, you know, 20 years ago. And I personally don't think that's, that's correct. I still think that everybody needs to be coached and mentored and supported to make sure they've got the best possible chance of succeeding. But I, I don't know what you, you, your view on that. Mm. Yeah, I think the... Um... I 100% agree in the sense that I don't think that there's much has much changed in that sense. I think it is it is actually it's a very simple quality that you need as a good manager. It's about listening. So listening to your people and, and listening to your team members, having regular one to ones with them, understanding what they want from this job or what they kind of passionate about in their careers, and then and then providing them with feedback. And, and, and also acting on what they're telling you. So I think, I mean, it's like uh, the worst thing is when you do an employee engagement survey, for example, and then you don't act on the feedback because it's too hard or you're like, you don't agree with it. Or yeah, you, or you don't like it. it. You don't like the feedback, so you don't do anything about it. <laughs> yeah, it's Crazy. like, well, that is literally the worst thing you can do, right? And I think, um, and usually the, what I find always heartbreaking is when an employee leaves and you do an exit interview and they tell you the reasons why and you're like, oh my God, it's like we could have fixed all of that if you would have only told us six months ago. Or if yeah. somebody, and I'm not saying it's the fault of the employee, obviously, but I'm just saying like if we would have known that from whatever source or if we would have unpicked that at that point six months ago or three months ago, we could have fixed that. But we, as an employer were not aware or the manager didn't ask the questions or the employee just felt disengaged at some point and just said, well, I don't care anymore. And and I think that's why it's really heartbreaking because a lot of those times you could actually, you could have done something. And yeah, was, they're the good ones that have yeah. got away, haven't they? Yeah, they're, they're the good ones that have kind of got away and you just think to yourself, it's what, why did we, why did we let that individual go away? They could have had an amazing career with us. And I think that's the bit, the talent waste bit for me is that we, we you know, we're trying to unpick and see how can we, how can we do that? And you've just touched upon it there, but it's communication. Is it, mm. is it, is it 
It's about regular check-ins, whether or not they're 15 minute modular, you know, um, uh, 15 minute little stand-ups, if you want to call them, or you know, check-ins, or you know, whether it's regular talking. A, a yearly appraisal, I think, is definitely outdated. I think you need to be doing them on a quarterly basis, and making sure that we we know where we are, whether or not it's an appraisal, whether or not we know where we are. You know, like you said earlier in the show. Mm organizations change and they change quite quickly and that 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 environment or that culture can change quite quickly we need to make sure that our people are changing or, or, or moving with with them times and if they're not they're getting left behind and that's where they end up leaving so it's really understanding wrapping around the key behaviors and competencies around individuals today but also in three months time or in six months time or in three years time and that's essentially how you scale as well isn't it uh, absolutely. And I think you make a good point there, like organization change, obviously, over time. But I think also the desires or passions or interests of the employee can also change. So you should never assume as a hiring manager or as a line manager, just because somebody told you once that they're interested in X, like, I don't know, that they don't want leadership anymore. And then six months later, they might leave for a leadership position. You're like, well, but you told me you don't want it. It's like, yeah, well, it was an interesting opportunity came up and actually I changed my mind. And you're yeah. like, well, I didn't know that. So, so I think it's, it's having those conversations so important. But, but I think what is also important is being really open and transparent with your employees as well about what they can expect, what they can't expect, what are the gaps, and giving them very constructive and sometimes uncomfortable feedback. I think a lot of managers are not good in having these, we call them courageous conversations at Samsara, right? where you just have to go in and you have to share something with your employee that they probably don't want to hear. But... If you don't do that, then they're not growing, they're not developing, and they will constantly, they will not basically be able to get to the next level. And at some point, they're going to leave because, and they don't understand why. And that's obviously not, uh, not a great experience. And so, I think is having those conversations is important, but also then um, making it very clear that it's a two-way, it's a two-way conversation yeah. as well. Because I always struggle with when employees have this um, expectation of like, well, develop me. I want to be developed. And I'm like, well, this is not how it works. It's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's a two way thing. It's like, you need to figure out what you actually want and, and I can help you in that journey. And then we can work on it together and I can give you feedback and coaching advice, but it's driven usually by you. I, I have all my one-to-ones always driven by my, by my team members and say, what do you want to talk about? What's important to you? And you need to come to me and tell me what you need. And then we can work on that. It's, I think I, I struggle when there is this um, kind of, uh, entitlement of well, the company owes me that development or that career. That, that's not that's not how it works. I think yeah. it is. It is. It is a two way contract, isn't it? Yeah. Is, is essentially it is a two way street, two way yeah. contract on that for sure. Again, I completely agree. Uh, Christoph has asked a question, but I think we mm. just answered about employee feedback and how often we should be giving feedback and employee feedback on projects and that type of stuff. And Aaron also on the back of that, Aaron also mm. answered a question about what advice, Manuel, would you give? to talent teams to address bias or ha hiring patterns or bias hiring patterns, if that makes sense. So yeah. you've seen that in your career and how would you address that? Yeah, so on a feedback piece very briefly, I would say anytime. I think the best thing with feedback is you have to give it when it's fresh. Um, so whenever you, like, I, I think could be weekly in your one-to-ones, could be daily, could, whenever something comes your way, I think as a manager, you should give the feedback or as a colleague. So I think it's important. I mean, it's, I'm sorry, we, we call it running a feedback loop constantly, and I think it's an important right. part of our culture. Um, so definitely not holding back until the next appraisal meeting. Um, on, yeah, the, the unconscious, that's a very, very good question. And I think it's, um, it's probably very difficult to, I think none of us can make us, ourselves free of bias. 
I think we just have to accept that we all have biases. I think the best way I've heard in a recruiting process to mitigate for it is just to involve a, as diverse group of interviewers as possible so that at least the, the different biases might cancel themselves out or at least you're not having too many blind spots. So even if one person has a bias here or a person has a bias there, when you look collectively at the feedback you're getting on a candidate, you're getting a pretty accurate uh, 360 of that person without too many blind spots. Um, I just also think being intentional about it. So saying, look, we, um, why are we doing it? Um, and, and, and giving people that awareness training, um, it's not going to fix everything, but I think it's just people getting comfortable with the fact that, that they are biased and not seeing it as like, um, oh, this is like something I can't talk about. It's just uh, like saying, okay, I need to just be aware of it. I need to do better. And if I know I have a certain bias, I need to probably get other people in the interview process to help me. If I realize, oh, my interview panel is all straight white men, let's get at least a few people in there that are looking different, that are thinking different. Um, because they look for a different lens, right? Exactly. That, that's yeah. It's a different lens. Yeah. It's a different world. Yeah, no, yeah. I, 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 I've never thought of that actually in terms of, having um you know different people looking at them them scenarios we, part of our technology actually does uh, um look at some of that unconscious bias piece but, yeah. but actually from a human perspective i, I completely agree with you, you you're never going to eradicate bias from a human point point of view because there's always something there and it's it's unconscious because you don't know it's there right that's the whole point of it so yeah. so it's actually just understanding like you say that you that there could be something there and that we need to work through that and what, and what that looks like so that's yeah. no, brilliant advice look i mean honestly we're, we're well over time already from your perspective to be fair what what would you what would you say manuel to, to the everybody um listening on the podcast mm. and watching live now what would you what would you kind of give a, a tip around that talent piece you've got a wonderful career so far and again doing brilliant stuff at samsara to scale business to bring people in what what would your top top tips be to kind of reduce talent waste to make sure people are retained to make sure you're getting the best possible decisions mm. yeah i think i think number one definitely is like look for talent everywhere just don't don't rule people out because of a preconceived like of kind of a notion of like oh we always hire people from those five universities or from those type of backgrounds or from those kind of industries i think just that openness is super important um and 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 constantly also challenging yourself and your teams on that and and so that you're not getting into down this this trap of like just hiring the same in the same image or the same people over and over again because it just kind of means you 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 not keeping your business very competitive probably in the future in that sense so i think that's number one and i think number two is probably especially when it comes to um talent brand and and how and, and also employer brand internally is i think just be authentic find people in your organization that can really authentically tell stories about their own a journey in the organization, what they like, what they probably don't like, and and don't try to be everything to everybody. Just be very, be bold to basically just say, this is what we are, this is what we not are, this is the people we think are great for our company, these are the kind of behaviors or um, attitudes they probably don't think are working very well in our company, and just being quite open and transparent about that. And then I think that the last thing is really that what I said earlier about having those courageous conversations, running those feedback loops. Um, I, I learned it the hard way with a few of my employees where I felt my role as a manager was to protect them from what I felt was quite harsh feedback. But actually what happened was I deprived them of an opportunity to learn and grow 
and I made a decision for them that actually then led for them to a situation where they were not able to act on the feedback because I didn't even give them that feedback because I made a decision to hold back. So I think it's just having those courageous conversations of um, delivering that feedback in a spirit of growth mindset and helping people to actually, yeah, improve. Feedback is is one of the it's almost like the elephant in the room sometimes as well, isn't it? Even you know from a recruitment perspective, you know when you're when you're volume, you've got four, five, six hundred applications, and you, you you kind of only hire ten or twenty people at the end of that application. Yeah. Does everyone else get feedback? You know, it's it's a kind of a like I say, an elephant in the room. People don't really want to give feedback, but in my career, what I've found is when you do give feedback, when you are transparent, when you do kind of like just be real, which is what yeah. you were saying earlier, be real, people really appreciate it. And they and they take it on board and they realize, actually, this is where we need to do. This is where we need to improve. This is where we need to go. So actually, by not saying anything is, is harming um, is harming the business and, and ultimately your team even further, isn't it? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Manuel, you have been an absolute superstar. I cannot thank you enough for coming on. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed our, our conversation today, and I hope everybody else has. Um, we're, we're, As I said to, to, to everybody earlier, we're, you can find us all over the socials, on Insta, on LinkedIn, and you can find and, and, and follow uh, Manuel, of course, in, in one of his past employees in, in terms of LinkedIn as well. Um, we're going to be putting this out uh, on YouTube, on Spotify, on Radio Public, and Pocket Cast as well, um, so you'll be able to grab all of them top tips that, that Manuel's just talked about. All it leaves me to, to, to say, Manuel, is that this is the Talent Way Show. You've been fantastic. And thank you again so much for coming on uh, this week. Thanks for having me, Lee. Have a good day, everybody. Oh, oh, cheers, Bye. Manuel.